This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going in Fakatani today? Um, I, I almost want to say it's raining and dreary um, because I always say it's so beautiful, but that will be a lie because it's so beautiful. It's a day today. <laughs> <laughs> it's about 20 degrees. Um, there's birds everywhere. There's no clouds. <laughs> it's a gorgeous autumn day. Sorry. It's a glorious day here too. I have got the curtains closed because I was getting blinded. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> that's because you don't believe me. I can tell. <laughs> too much time in Dunedin. No, I've got really amazing memories of gorgeous Dunedin sunshiny winter days. And also in Fakatani, we're joined by Nandor Tanchos. Welcome, Kiora. Was she right on her report of Fakatani's birds and sun? Well, it's pretty nice here. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm just looking out. The sun's glistening on the leaves and the, the sky's pretty blue. Birds are tweeting. There's <laughs> quite a lot of vegetation around where you are. Are the birds out? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm lucky. I live right on the edge of a reserve, and so we get the most amazing bird life here. We get kereru, tui. We had kaka living here for a while. I haven't seen them for a while, but that was quite extraordinary. I've never seen kaka in the wild before, and I think I'm pretty sure I hear kiwi at night. Yeah, very lucky. <laughs> so, how are things going in your bubble? Oh, pretty good. You know, um, my daughter's been staying with her grandparents, so she's in Rotorua. Uh, my boys here and so day to day we're pretty much just kind of working through the schoolwork you know he gets his teacher sends to his schoolwork and we work through that together um, my wife and I usually kind of work from home more or less anyway so kind of used to that and we're taking in shifts to, to support my boy yeah I kind of I realized how much I like being at home I mean I'm lucky I've got a I've got a income. I don't have to worry about being laid off. Um, I'm able to work from home, so um, you know, not wanting to diminish the the real stress and suffering that some people are going through. But for me, I'm I'm privileged to be able to enjoy my time at home, enjoy hanging out. I do miss kind of going to see my friends and you know and that kind of thing, obviously. But it's for me, it's it's been quite enjoyable. <laughs> Your daughter's in Rotorua, you said? Yeah, so she moved over there to um, pursue some educational opportunities. She left school uh, beginning of the year, I think. 
so she's been um she was studying there and then just just before the lockdown she got a job in a with a construction firm um and so of course that's all been on hold but um i suspect we're going to see a bit of a construction boom following all this so uh she's probably quite well placed shovel ready things but hopefully won't be climate change destroying things well i mean this is the concern isn't it you know the government has pushed for they're investing a lot of money into shovel ready projects and of course what that means is it's likely to be the same stuff as we've been doing it's basically stuff that's in the pipeline which is gonna which councils either couldn't afford to do before or was just lower down on the priority list so it's just bringing all that stuff forward and it's like with the provincial growth fund a little bit as well that the really tight time frames on this stuff and i mean you know staff are having um you know very very short time frames to get these quite detailed proposals in it's putting huge stress on them people are working all weekend all night you know to get the paperwork in and there's just no space to do any innovative thinking about what are the kinds of projects that are going to be the right infrastructure for the 21st century now council started to you know like it's a big ship we started to shift and turn uh the the vehicle around or you know trying try to steer it to lead to start thinking about what do we need to do to put in place to prepare for the 21st century but to be honest that stuff's not shovel shovel ready not by a long shot we're still thinking through what does that really mean and so um i greatly fear that we're going to get locked into the same old stuff which you know frankly is the kind of stuff shane jones understands construction roading um but the question of what does a decarbonized economy start to look like what does it look like to be carbon uh, to be climate change resilient what does it look to be, to like to become a truly regenerative economy um is you know there's just not time to grapple with those things in terms of these funding so you know i'm hoping we're going to see some other funding rounds that are going to open up some space for something a bit more interesting and imaginative let's go for something more imaginative let's go for johnny osborne truth and rights this is your choice why do you like this one? Oh, i just think this is beautiful someone gave me a, a cd with a bunch of just a mix of reggae and this is one of the songs i particularly liked it's beautiful you know melodically it's beautiful and it just speaks to such a truth so Heart and not your garments. The truth is there, for who have eyes to see? Harshality has no place in this judgment. Remember the words of prophecy. Children run, come to truths and rise. That's what I'm about. You know the truths and rights. Teach it to the children. You know the truths and rights. Teach it to the children that they should know. No, 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 no. Children say a little prayer. Every night. 
night before you go to sleep Cause tomorrow is promised to no one When you think it's peace and safety Lord, it could be, could be sudden destruction Cause we It's remarkable how many people that we've talked to have got a guitar in the in the background of their <laughs> of their home office. I, I reckon yeah, there's like a formula. <laughs> and now Bruna today she had one in her bedroom and I thought, oh man, I'd love to have a man who could serenade me to sleep with his guitar in my bedroom. That would be awesome. Yeah, I picked up bass um about two or three years ago and been wanting to play it all my life. It's great, you know, like I'm fifty-three. It's nice to be picking up a new school and teach an old dog and all that stuff. So are you finding time in this lockdown to learn it? No, actually, I haven't been practicing my my bass much at all. Um, I've been um, my days are quite full, you know. So, say supporting my boys takes quite a lot of time, and then just reading through the stuff I've got to read through. Council's working really hard. We're meeting twice a week um, just to re just a regular catch up, and then the other stuff on top, and um, working really hard to get our head around our heads around what this means for us as a district and as an organization. Um, and of course, part of the difficulty is no one really knows. And so we are having to deal with a huge amount of uncertainty. And so we're having to kind of project multiple possibilities and work through the implications of all of those. Um, so <laughs> I'm not getting much time to write this my face. <laughs> Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui ki koutou ko tahu ho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful people, and your beautiful beloved bubbles. 
I'm really loving our time together and I'm so grateful for this opportunity to connect in this way. Thank you. So I thought that today we could really enjoy exploring that bubble that we've been within since before our birth, our miraculous bodies, and how our bodies really hold the key for awakening on so many levels for us and self-care and emotional resilience on so many levels. And so they're really one of the best ways for us to engage with the time and make the most of our time as physically manifested beings on this beautiful planet. So of course, as we all know, our body holds the key for showing us who we are and why we're here. As we know, our incredible consciousness that we've evolved over literally billions of years of life on Earth enables us to be a triumph of nature, observing nature's work and understanding our origins in greater depth. So because this consciousness loves to look at the world around it, draw meaning from it and create frameworks of understanding, we have, of course, science, which is really just a love for the world around us by another name. And this love has enabled us to find that, of course, looking deeply into our DNA, we are related to all other life. And being quite newly evolved, we can trace all the aspects of our body back through our ancestral family members to find their original origins, like in our ears, tightly coiled, a spiral of little pores filled with jelly and hair that pick up vibration. The exact same structures are found running along the length of the bodies of our fish ancestors. And so we see our evolutionary history all around us in the life forms that have not changed for much longer than we have been here. So I really love this about being alive, that we are connected to all life in an infinite web. And I find that really supportive and really encouraging and really inspiring. So our bodies, of course, have evolved to be outside. And it's only for the last few several hundred thousand years that we've really been drawn to being inside. And so now we're starting to see, as we become more and more enmeshed, with the construct and the creation of the human world that we have made as a species of animal and we move further from the real world, the natural world, which gives us life and sustains our life, we start to run into problems which require solutions. So we're being asked to return home at this time, not only to our constructed bubble home, but also our true nature as a species of animal who longs to be and has evolved to be out in the real world outside. So I hope that you are getting some time outside, even if it is just walking outside your house bubble very briefly. But if beyond that you are able to get out into your garden, out into your neighbourhood and Feel the fresh air, breathe the fresh air, connect with the sounds, connect with the other life that's around you. Think about all the life that is teeming under every footstep you take, knowing that the plants are communicating via wonderful mycorrhizal fungus internet, knowing that the plants are giving you oxygen, knowing that you're giving them carbon dioxide. Just really reminding yourself of all those connections 
that can be very refreshing and uplifting and I'm certainly enjoying that at the moment. And also if you take the time to really enjoy these self-care practices that we can on a really fundamental level give ourselves as gifts to help ourselves at this time like getting lots of exercise, lots of happy chemicals for our beautiful bodies every day and on the flip side of that allowing our bodies to rest and recharge every night with lots of beautiful sleep. And of course in order to sleep we need to make sure that we're giving ourselves time and space away from those tools that we have created as species of animal that allow us to connect and communicate over vast distances and of course alongside this emit blue light that tricks our brain into thinking it's time to be wide awake. So I'm really enjoying at the moment making sure that I've stowed my treasured technological possessions in the other room and allowing myself to get lots of sleep after having allowed myself to get lots of exercise. And what this is generating for me is a greater sense of appreciation for the life force energy, the modi, the vitality of my physical body. And the more I care for it, the more the sense of vitality increases. And it's wonderful. So I hope you're all having the opportunity to do that. And I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks so much. Kagite. Hey, so I wanted to ask, so you're doing a few of these talks, obviously, and it seems to me it's such a critical thing. You know, we referred to before about the this, this opportunity to do things a bit differently, and we have to imagine what that looks like and what that future could be and how we would shape it. What do we need to put in place to create that future? So you must be um, both thinking through yourself and also talking to people with some really profound insights as to what that future could be. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and it's very useful for somebody's doctorate, um, particularly looking at the, the, the notion of, well, what does it mean to be positive? How do we operationalize this be kind message? How do we take mm. be kind from a platitude to this yeah. is the basis for policy? This is the basis for how we're envisaging whatever the new normal will be. Yeah, yeah. The thing that's been um, that's really got me thinking the most is the similarity of of a question that everybody gets asked um, in terms of what what do you want what do you hope will be an enduring change an enduring social change that will come out of all of this and how um, the answers are so similar the thing yeah. that we're just yearning that sense of community that sense of caring for one another that sense of not just our personal responsibility, but the responsibility for the collective. Mm, that has yeah. been a theme that has been there for everybody. And it's yeah. something that used to be such a part of our culture that's disappeared and it's come back. And how do we hold that? Mm, because yeah. that, I think, if we can hold that energy and that mindset, mm. then we can actually use that as a foundation for creating a better future. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's all this talk about social distancing and actually what we're doing is is the opposite. We've got this physical distancing, but what we what is actually going on is this, is more social co- connection in a really bizarre way. 
Um, and I suppose the key thing is that we make sure that those connections go across the community broadly. Yeah, I was just thinking, Sam, you, you talked about how do we operationalize kindness, and I'm immediately, you know, probably the, in policy terms, probably the single most unkind area of policy is around poverty, and um, you know, looking at the stuff coming through social media around advocates, beneficiary advocates, and things like this, who are kind of commenting that um, now people who've never really had to deal with the ministry before are having to deal with the humiliation, the deliberate humiliation, the cruelty, the pointlessness of a whole lot of the kind of procedures that we have around people trying to get some support when, when they've got no income. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm also hopeful that that's one of the enduring outcomes is that people actually understand what it's like to be on the bottom of the pile. And maybe we start to shift how we view those people as a society because beneficiary bashing has been a national sport for so long. And beneficiary, um, the barriers that are put up for beneficiaries to try and get any support, in order to apply for a benefit, you have to have a pretty high level of literacy. You have to now have access to the internet. You have to have a Realme account, which means you yeah. have to have copies of your ID and you have to have an address. And there are so many things that you have to have and if you don't have any of those things, then you just the the application process is almost impossible. Yeah. You have to yeah. go and, and stand in the huge line if they'll let you in the door at the local office mm. and um and beg for an appointment. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. But the other side of that is I'm being told that work that could be done online, you're actually required to go in, stand in a line for hours, waste your time. You know, all the difficulty of getting there if you live far away and you lack transport and you know so this is so that's right it, it, it's kind of um it's almost it's, <laughs> the stuff that could be done online you've got to go in but then they require to have all this other kind of support and systems systems in place so and, and again it's it's this kind of it's almost like a deliberate um procedure of humiliation and difficulty just to make it as difficult for people as possible um, and if we you know i mean i, I really hope that it, that is something that we that gets permanently changed the, um, the courage that you have to have to go into that office and you walk in on your knees mm. at the absolute bottom of your life in the most vulnerable position you have ever been in in your life and as you say, people are experiencing that for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Interesting yeah. times. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Well, hello there, bubble people. It's uh, Liesl coming at you from my bubble of one here in the zoo loft here in the downtown of uh, our lovely Dunedin city. And um, yeah, Dunedin is a lovely city. That's something I've really been noticing a lot of actually in my little wanders around the streets with my, uh, <laughs> what did my friend call it? He said, are you going promenading? And I was like, my promenade? I love it. Uh, Mm, yeah, I probably am not promenading, but every morning and afternoon I try to do a whip round the block um, and just keep keep the body moving. 
which is awesome and it really does make a difference to my day I've noticed um, not only just getting outside and getting some fresh air but it creates a little routine for myself and it also means that I'm you know just uh, staying active not just sitting on the couch because there's been some sitting on the couch let's be honest yeah there has but anyway back to Dunedin um, when I wander around promenading as I do uh, <laughs> I I like to take photos so I take random snip snaps of things around the city and you know just kind of I guess record what I see as I wander around and paying attention to the details because there's just it's funny when you're doing pretty much the same loop every morning and every night I mix it up a little bit but I'm pretty much got my little loop that I do and I am just fascinated by how many things you still see and especially when I'm taking photos because I tend to put these photos up on Facebook every day as a bit of a record of you know this is my photo diary I guess of my lockdown sitch so I pick a few photos and pop them up and you know by whew, a few weeks in you're starting to go well am I actually going to find anything new to photograph and the crazy bit is is that yeah every single day it's different and not only do you get different light so that makes a big difference got the beautiful autumn kind of light happening at the moment which I just love because it's that I don't know if you notice this but I love the fact that it gets lower in the sky and you've just got these like long sort of sunbeams that kind of hit the ground and you've got the leaves and you've got the gold it creates golden light and on those beautiful Dunedin sort of crisp autumn days when it's not cold quite yet but it's got that edge to it but the sun's out and the sky's blue but that light is just so low that you just get this golden sort of glow it just makes me crazy I love it so much so yeah capturing trying to capture that uh, in photos is actually very difficult <laughs> I've discovered <laughs> I see it and then I try to capture it and my photo looks nothing like what I just saw but um, sometimes it gets close sometimes it gets close but yeah there's something about trying to put that beautiful like energy that you see into a photograph and package it up so other people can see it too so not only am I enjoying the light but it's um, it's autumn autumn of course so changing leaves and everything's sort of changing so actually going out every day even though the buildings remain the same, you get this different sort of backdrop of buildings and contrast between the leaves and the buildings and the light. And so every day it is different. And I'm also noticing all these little things around the city, like street art that I've never seen before. Um, funny little things like stickers that people have put on to buildings and things that are, that are art as well, but I've never seen before. And there's, you know, you look down low and you suddenly see things you've never seen, or you look up high Again, you see things that you've never seen before. And I think this is the great thing about getting out and walking, is that you're not in your car, you've got the time to actually enjoy your view and notice all the stuff that you've never seen before about Dunedin. So I think I know Dunedin pretty well. I've lived here for a long time and I've always walked and I thought I pretty much knew every kind of nook and cranny, but I keep discovering things and I discover them on the same loop that I do every day. So imagine if I was going further afield 
Anyway, those are my thoughts for today. I just wanted to say I love Dunedin. And even in lockdown mode, I think we've got a pretty great city. And I'm loving the the chance to re-appreciate it and fall in love with it all over again. So I hope you're getting some of that as well and enjoying the autumn. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk soon. I was fortunate to find a, a Twitter person that I'm following who's uh, who's a who's a beneficiary advocate and the stuff that she's and low low paid workers as well and the stuff she's mm-hmm. tweeting, repeating people's stories and and um and also the the kind of like the the wage subsidy fraud that's going on where some employers are not passing on the wage subsidy or or passing on impar- uh, partially, which is entirely illegal, you know. But um, yes, it's been a bit of an eye opener. It's been Good. Nando, when I talked to you last year, you were talking about developing ideas of social permaculture. Mm. How's that going? <laughs> um, uh, subconsciously. <laughs> <laughs> I've been... Um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about permaculture and about ecological systems and what they're like. And at the same time kind of grappling with the flow of work in council and that involves a whole lot of things around economic development social development as well as the just kind of um how we manage infrastructure and all those kinds of things and so um still in the process of trying to bring the thinking together i suppose um you know but i i, I had an interesting um thought recently i was i went to this um workshop up near Whangarei, which was on centropic polyculture. It was based on the work of this guy, Ernst Gotch, very interesting permaculture system of working with the intelligence of nature. And the guy who up, who's up there, Klaus Lotz, he's the biggest commercial banana grower in Aotearoa, has an amazing system, very inspiring and just incredibly well-informed, interesting, funny guy. Um, and so he was talking about weeds and the way that um, when weeds come into his system, he doesn't try and get rid of them in any way. He welcomes them as friends because he says that weed is there to play an ecological function. And what is it there to do and how can we actually enhance its function? So, And often the function of something coming in is to build soil fertility. I mean, that's what weeds do, right? If you've got a bare ground, weeds come in, the gorse pampas, whatever, it's, it comes into whole soil and builds soil fertility. That's its role. And so he, that's what he's doing. He's kind of mulching it, stuff down, using it to build soil fertility to the point that the conditions are actually changed at that no, weed no longer wants to be there because now it's time for the next stage of the succession and something else comes in and becomes more a more hospitable environment for the kinds of things that as humans we want to see grow, which is like productive food which is more higher up the kind of succession chain if you like and i was thinking about his approach and thinking about in terms of social stuff and how we we uh treat some people in our society like weeds that don't belong and we just want to get rid of them in some way we want to eradicate them so we're going to spray them with toxic poison until they die uh, you know so we can plant what we want good stuff rather than kind of going yeah and so like taking gangs is a really good example you know 
what are the social functions that gangs are playing? And it's actually a really significant social function. And then so how do we rather than go, we're going to ban patches and we're going to try and police gangs out of existence, which clearly doesn't work because that's what we've been trying to do for decades. And it's, you know, it's not it's not actually making making gangs go away, you know, rather than that going, well, what is the social function and how do we enhance that social function in a positive way? And how do we use that to create the conditions, you know, and I mean, we're seeing that in Fakatani. If you look at, um, you know, you, people who come out, come out of the gang life, still attached to the gang, to the gangs, that's their family and their social network who are, who've moved through that succession in your life, if you like, and they're kind of going, I don't want my kids to be in that life. I want something different for my kids and my community. And are now starting to, build fertility in their own community by starting their own businesses where they can employ people. And, you know, the, and it was just, for me, it was a really amazing illustration of that same principle of rather than uh, uh, trying to arrest a natural succession and take it back, we actually, um, we accelerate natural succession so it comes out to a more productive outcome faster with less pain and with less work and working with the natural rhythm of what's already there. So, yeah, I, th I, th I still think it's a very powerful way to approach uh, social issues is to look at how ecologies work, how ecosystems work, and then how do we adapt some of that thinking to ourselves. So if we look at this time of isolation, this Rahui, this pulling back on the busyness of our society and hopefully on our use of the environment, what's going to come from that? What what fertility do we need to be building while we're here? It, it's a very good question, isn't it? It's um, And I suppose people, I mean, we, I, th I think these kinds of things are really important, that this is an, you know, this is an amazing opportunity. We live in a society which is so fast paced and everyone is just basically, you're either kind of on a benefit with max time, but no resources or, but most you know, most people are kind of maxed out in terms of time and their attention and their energy, just holding life down, doing their work, holding their families down, just trying to manage. And with all the uh, the financial pressure from a world where we've, we've created this massive uh, financial inequality as well. And this is this amazing opportunity to just, we've all just had to stop. It's like, it's, it's like getting it's like getting sick, isn't it? When you get sick, oh, I'm going to plow, I'm going to plow, and eventually it just goes bang. No, you're not. You're going to lie down in the bed <laughs> and you're going to rest until you get better. And it's kind of that's what we've been forced to as a society is actually just lie down for a bit, just stop. And um, so this is it's incredible opportunity for us to really think quite deeply about what is it that's important in our own personal lives and in our communities and in our nation and in our in our world. And so I think things like what you're doing here are really critical. And there's quite a few amazing conversations going on um, around people are going, you know, what what do what are the questions we need to be asking ourselves? At the same time, people are equipping themselves with new ways of doing things. People are learning how to <laughs> cook healthy food because they can't go to the KFC. You know, they're actually having to, and I'm sure some people are out, like lunching out on instant noodles or whatever, but you see a lot of people are kind of grappling with new um, new skills of how to actually manage for themselves and meet their own needs. And it's, and it's 
cost effective and it's healthy and and you know and it's satisfying so you've got all that kind of stuff going on which i think i think is really really interesting and yet the other thing i was going to um touch upon was i was watching a uh a video with kate rayworth talking about the, her donut economics theory which i think is really interesting stuff and they've just applied it to amsterdam and, and there's a lot of interest in how do we start to apply some of it thinking here in aotearoa but one of the points that she made she was talking about the productive economy and she was liking it to a, a a loop that kind of goes round and round she said but it doesn't go round and round because there's a there's a a drain that comes off it which is which is the finance the the rentier economy so you've got people doing productive work generating value and circulating it around but the constant drain on that is that people have to pay other people money simply because they happen to own stuff often because they inherited wealth and so the 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 productive economy has this constant drain which she calls the kind of the rentier economy and you know so we're seeing like right now um many landlords grappling especially commercial landlords grappling with the thing the idea that you know people can't go into their shops so therefore you know they we're having rent freezes and rent postponements and things like that and it really starts to raise the question of why is it that people are paying these massively exorbitant rents in the first place you know what is the value of of just pure property ownership and it starts to make us question the way that wealth accumulates within a kind of capitalist system because that, that's the way the framework works if you've got you know wealth generates income quicker than labor does capital you know is more profitable than working if you want to get rich you don't work for, you don't get a job you know you you accumulate capital and you use that to you know and so it's an opportunity to really start questioning some of those fundamentals about how our economic system works i think and that's critical because the economic framework is what creates the conditions for the massive inequality as well as the ecological destruction that we're dealing with in the world right now I'm going to take Steve Abel, Beautiful Fish, another one of your suggestions, and your old flatmate. Yeah, Steve and I used to live together. He's a really, really beautiful man. Um, great singer, songwriter, writes really profound work. Um, well well known, actually, is he was a, being a spokesperson for Greenpeace for a long time. He's standing for the Green Party in the national elections this year and just an all-round top dude oh not top as in top but you know he's an all-round top green dude
beautiful fish slip down to the land and lungs grew as lungs grow and the world was new for a thousand lifetimes she blessed the earth and grew Shiver of breath, rotted the ocean like a shining moon. She went back to the water, the ocean side, the forest died, but the sea remained.
It's interesting that you talked about um, Amsterdam and Rawlance's Donut Economics. Do you think other organisations, other councils are, are seeing this as an opportunity to, to look for different models? Or, or is it going to be once, you know, let's, let's fall back on the traditional? I think um, we're in really twisted terrain now. I think there's quite powerful forces who do very well under the status quo, who are desperate to return to the way things were. And there's um, and there's probably a bit of support for that because it's comfortable, you know, like we're in this kind of crisis, no one knows what's going on. Let's go back to what we were doing before. So you can see that there's a kind of momentum towards that, as well as a very powerful vested interest. But I think there's also a growing number and increasingly powerful group of people who recognise that actually the old way of doing things was the problem. And so we need to we need to really uh, rethink that. And rather than um, go into a recovery phase, we need to go into a renewal phase where we do things very differently. And um, and that's where we're at. There's a, it's a you can see it playing out now. Um, in the media, in the conversations, in organisations, that tension is right in play now. And how that um, rolls out, I suppose, is going to be different in different places depending on who's there in decision-making positions and who understands what. You know, you've got um, you've got some really progressive people in different councils around the country, sometimes uh, relatively on their own, sometimes there's groups of people or people are able to work with um, different allies who who kind of get parts of the picture, and um, I'm but I'm really hopeful that we will see some really progressive things taking place. And I think local government has been grappling with these issues for a while. Central government really abdicated its responsibilities on climate change for a very long time. Now is is that's changing, but local government in the meantime, saw the need for movement and stepped into the breach. So local government's been doing quite powerful work. Local government New Zealand as an umbrella organisation has been doing quite powerful work on climate change. And then individual councils have been doing some really powerful work as well. Although some councils, you know, they're still grappling with whether climate change is even real, you know. But I think there's a number that are doing really important work. Uh, You've got the really interesting stuff that local government New Zealand's been doing around localism. And I, because I think that... um, that a really important part of the solution is is a move to localism uh, in a in a in a kind of physical sense of our resources and meeting our needs, as well as a globalism in terms of our reach out in, in terms of information sharing. And so, one thing I think is really critical is that we you know we have to really protect the internet because this is this. This gives us this amazing ability to connect globally to, to thinkers and, and organisers and activists around the world, but at the same time kind of organising our activity at a really local level. So this, so this localism work that local government New, New Zealand's been doing is really important. Um, so I think, you know, we've got, the, we've got many, many ingredients to make something really powerful and we just have to make it happen. It's up to us. There's no one else... You know, we are inventing the future right now, and so we just got to do it. I think one of the. I mean, what other... do you think? What do you think? Do you, do you think? What do you do? You see um, that? I mean, this is an opportunity to, for transformation. Do you see that happening? Do you, is that something you see? Going to think is going to be happening? I think it's laid bare some of the 
the things which we hold dear the things like we need to find a better life not a lesser life yes and yes. and the, the the overwhelming thing is yes we have to recognize the disruption and the vulnerable and all those sorts of things but for those of us who are managing to do the the, the self-isolation the protection as well as as, as the work there's there's not that many complaints so 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 maybe this better life not a lesser life is a possible thing i think it is made clear the integrated nation i don't like the venn diagram of sustainability but if we put up with that for the moment the 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 fact that that's based on the premise of the integration well in in this in this part here we've got a very strong proof of the integration of the social system and the economic system and yes. the fact that the, the the fact that we've said, well, the economic system is just going to have to part of it's just going to have to wait until we get this the the social the, the the health sorted. The link's not quite so strong to the to the environment in in this, but at least it's showing how closely integrated those systems are. Yes, yes, and I th and it's interesting that we're we're hearing that coming from not just kind of the usual suspects, but a lot of kind of what I would consider relatively mainstream economists are starting to articulate these things as well. Like you're seeing people advocating the importance of investment into the social infrastructure, the soft infrastructure, um, recognising that it's it's those social bonds uh, and that's that kind of social capital, to use that kind of wording, that the whole kind of the system relies on that as much as it, as it relies on the natural capital and those kinds of things so um it seems like some of these ideas that have been moving from the fringe into the center over time are really started to consolidate um and the other thing is the amazing the amazing way that quite mainstream economists are kind of going uh well actually kind of the the laissez-faire capitalism neoliberalism that we've all been espousing for so long Okay, it works. It, it works to some degree when everything's going well, but in a time of crisis, they don't work. Government is absolutely essential, you know, and political decision makers are essential. And so it's kind of people are, people's assumptions about this idea of we just got to get rid of the state and everything will be sweet is laid bare for the complete fallacy that it is. It's going to be a real challenge when. All of the people who have been wanting tax cuts and 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 whatever else, smaller government, smaller government, realize or internalize the fact that they're quite happily not just accepting um, bailouts, but but demanding them. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or maybe yeah. that's just yeah. going to be some cognitive dissonance that gets wallpapered over in a in a month. People are pretty good at plastering <laughs> over cognitive dissonance, but it does highlight one of the challenges. For political decision makers because we know that there are parts of the community that are really suffering um, but also we know that um, we need to be spending into the economy you know we need to be moving forward with um, economic development and to kind of to cut rates and taxes and everything and just kind of and and move government into a lean lean mean machine is not really gonna get us get us through and so there's there's um there's some difficult choices that people have to make and political actors have to make right now okay i haven't left enough time for all of the questions to end with 
Which ones shall we ask? Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. Um, yes. When I was in Parliament, I was a parliamentary activist, and now I'm a local body activist. And what is your superpower? <laughs> what is my superpower? Um, um, Mawera, what's, what's <laughs> Nandal's superpower? Um, his, his, he exudes a great love for everyone, everything. When you spend time with Nandor, you feel like you actually matter in the world. I think that is a beautiful thing that not many people do. Mm, thank so you. I would say that is the superpower. He actually really gives a damn. <laughs> thank you, and, that's very kind. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um. Well, the only thing I say is it really is up to us. It's up to all of us, every one of us. And, you know, if we just sit back and allow allow things to run their course, what is going to happen is the moment's going to be seized by big money interests. This is the stuff Naomi Klein was talking about with the shock doctrine. This is, this is a, a strategy using moments of crisis to grab more power, and it will happen right before us, and the opportunity, this amazing opportunity, will be snatched from under our feet if we don't take, take our own power as people. And so it's up to all of us to be talking about this stuff, thinking about it, and doing what we can to make sure that we go into a renewal rather than uh, trying to recover that sad old thing that was that, that's now lost. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been great. It's, I've really enjoyed it. And it's, these conversations are so important. So thank you. Mawera, any last thoughts? Uh, I think we all need to take a leaf out of Nandor's book. Uh, and I think that we need to, well, there's a lot of leaves in Nandor's book. So which one do you take? All of them. <laughs> I think it's just this is a time for change and there will never be a better time for change and it's time that we all started to really drive that you've been listening to blowing bubbles positive conversations with people in their safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we broadcast on otago access radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook as well we've had contributions from tahu mckenzie and liesl mitchell I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been joined by Nandor Tanchos, also in Fakatani. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.